0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today again on the program. And uh, man, I trust again you've been enjoying what we're sharing. Uh, If you've missed anything, go back to YouTube. Uh, You can watch what we have uh, aired. This is, we are probably somewhere near uh, 90 90 programs that we have aired on the book of Revelation, but all of it is archived on YouTube. You can go back and watch it at any time, or you can go back to our iTunes page and download the podcast for the audio portion, or have it, uh, if you sign up for our podcast it'll be delivered straight to your device or you can go to our website and there is an rss feed there for your android device that will tell you how to get the audio portions uh on there i, I don't want to take a long time and talk about uh, that today i want to get right straight in the word of god and we're going to go back again we, we're dealing with the book of revelation we've dealt with the first couple of chapters i'm going to sing i want to go back and read revelation 14 he said i looked lo, low lamb stood on mount zion with him 144,000, having their father's name written in their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and elders. And no man could learn the song but the 144,000, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they, and this is the verse I want to get to today because we covered the other three verses in the first three programs, uh, or the last three programs that we've done. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So I'll deal with the being virgins and first fruits. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly, in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, uh, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of the waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she hath made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here's the patience... Uh, Here is the patience of the saints. Here here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto a son of man, having having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also having a sharp sickle another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, and it was cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even to the horses' bridle, uh, for a thousand about the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now I want to come back and deal with because we've already dealt with the first. a couple of verses. I want to go to uh, the fourth verse through the fifth verse. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Isaiah chapter thirty seven, in verse twenty two, says this This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Now see, these that are in uh, Revelation 14 are, are virgins, but they are not the ones who have committed fornication with Babylon and her harlotry among the nations. They are the ones of whom he declared earlier come out from among them And be ye separate, saith the Lord. In Revelation uh, 14, verse 8, it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, I want us to take a moment, if we can, uh, to go back to Hebrews 12. Now, I did share uh, from Hebrews 12 in one of the prior segments, but I'm going to go uh, a little bit in front now of what I shared uh, uh, in Hebrews 12. But in, uh, let's go back there. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and run with patience, the race that is set before They looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, even for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God." Now let me just say, because it's almost impossible to grab a snippet out of a chapter without putting the context. Uh, Hebrews the 11th chapter is a, the great hall of faith. It's talking about these men did something by faith. If you look at the the great hall of faith, all of these men in Hebrews 11 did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Abraham offers up his son. That's a picture of Christ. Moses keeps the Passover. That's a picture of Christ and his redemption. Uh, Noah builds an ark. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but Noah's ark is a picture of the redemption of Christ. He is our vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin and the curse, and he is our vehicle into a new world where the curse is reversed. Remember, the ark landed on a mountain called Ararat, which means the curse is reversed. So when you see chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Uh, He's saying that these men by faith did something that was what they were hoping for. So they were hoping for, uh, like Abraham, a son of promise to come, the provision of a ram caught in a thicket. They were looking for uh, a Passover lamb to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt. But see, I believe the reason it starts out with Hebrews 1.1, now faith is a substance is because now we don't believe because God is going to do something. Now we believe because God has done something. We're not believing for it. We're believing because it's true. In other words, we preach the finished work. The lamb has already come. The sacrifice has already been made. So that when you come to Hebrews 12, he said, Sing, then we're compassed with this great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. These great cloud of witnesses are all these men of Hebrews 11 who declared they without us cannot be made perfect because the perfect that was coming was the new covenant. And so uh, they're telling us that in Hebrews 12, to look unto Jesus. In other words, we looked at all these other uh, side issues, but now we look away and we look unto Jesus, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. If I could say it like this, Hebrews 11 is author faith. Hebrews 12 is finisher faith. And when he goes on to say, we can, we can hear them cheering us on to the finish line, and he's telling us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, uh, that you, you, you could t- take that back into the book of Hebrews, where the joy that he was looking forward to was that he was anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And I think that what he was seeing is the joy that was going to come is because he was going to be able to give to us as believers the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Remember, the whole book of Hebrews chapter 13 tells us is so that our hearts might be established in grace. And everything about the book of Hebrews is about crossing over from an old covenant and into a New covenant, and so they are moving away from uh, an an old covenant paradigm and they are looking unto Jesus, who's the offer and finisher. And when I hear him say, Let us lay aside the weight, uh, the weight of Hebrews chapter 12 that we need to lay aside, I've always heard this from a negative viewpoint, but just consider this. The weights that we need to lay aside is we need to unload the baggage of an old covenant paradigm. a performance-based religious system that are wearing us out. Because what you're going to see is that as you're going down uh, through this uh, uh, 12th chapter of Hebrews, he tells them, lift up the hands that hang down the feeble knees uh, and those that are about to go out of the way. In other words, what you need to do is encourage people who are trying to go back under the law that you don't need to carry that weight. You say, well, what about the sin? Well, the sin is in the third chapter of Hebrews. In the fourth chapter of Hebrews, the sin... That, we need, that does so easily beset us is the unbelief because the scripture says they sin in the wilderness because they did not call it today and they did not believe uh, and by faith Paul tells or, or the, whoever the writer of the book of Hebrews says is that let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it because he said for unto them was the gospel preached as well as unto him but the word not mixed with faith did not profit them. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the earth for whom he was grieved because they sinned and they fell in the wilderness because they didn't believe. So the sin is the unbelief. The unbelief in what? The unbelief in the new covenant. The unbelief in God's finished work. The unbelief in the done deal. So I think it's time for us to unload our weights. I think it's time for us to unload our sin and run with patience the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus who has given us what he joyfully endured the cross for, and that is the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that uh, gives us the, the ability to despise the shame and sit down with him on his throne. Now, he said, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied. And faint in your minds. You've not resisted unto blood striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My uh, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Whom the Lord loves, he chases and discourages every son. Whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? For you, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be subjected unto the Father's spirits that live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but lie rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and, without, and and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord." Now, I wonder, before I get into the next part of it, because uh, I want to deal with this uh, again as we get into this, but he's saying to them, we can look forward to, uh, we, we need to strengthen the knees, or the feeble knees, the hands that hang down, uh, the ones that are just about to get out of the path. What path? The path of Righteousness. And, uh, to, and, and, and that his, his determination is to follow peace with all men uh, and to follow holiness. Now, let me tell you also that this almost seems like an out-of-context thing because he says that, uh, he talks about the chastening of a son. Now, first of all, I want to say to you that every son he receives, he chastens. And I've got to first tell you that this chastening was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ when he was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement for our peace was laid on Him." So He took chastisement as the one son that God would receive. And if we are in that one son, then our chastisement has already been completed in Him. Now what I do see coming here is the correction and adjustment when He's saying that if you receive correction, uh, you're a son. And if you don't receive correction, you're a bastard. And the thing that really uh, you know, just clicked in my spirit is that the whole idea of what he's correcting here is what he started to correct in Hebrews chapter 1, the whole first chapter, when he begins to declare that we are sons and not servants. So the correction here is under the old covenant, you were servants. And if you were servants, you carried the weights and the loads and the unbelief that comes with carrying the weight of the law and the weight of religion and the weight of performance-based religion, and you find yourself stumbling weak hands, feeble knees, about to turn out of the way. I I, I can remember growing up in classical Pentecost under such legalism, and I finally got to the place I was absolutely wore out, and I thought, man, I can never meet this criteria. I can never keep all these rules. And I thought, man, I, I, I love God, but He don't love me. And I'm evidently going to go to hell. And if I am, I'm at least going to enjoy the ride. And that's where I started to vary out of the path. Those are the very people whom I believe God is correcting here and saying to them, you need to come back and strengthen these people by unloading their weights, unloading their unbelief of sin, and get them to look to Jesus, who was chastised for your peace, who was, you know, look unto Jesus, who is not only the author, but the finisher of your faith, And look at the peaceable fruit of righteousness that is a result of him uh, enduring the cross for the joy that was set before him. And the joy was that he loved righteousness. And that righteousness then he gives to us as a free gift. Because of that, we're able to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. That ought to encourage someone who's discouraged with their hands hanging down and that are feeble uh, in in their their hearts. It says, looking diligently, now this is verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. So you see that if you're going back to the weights, if you're going back to the sin of unbelief, if you're going back to performance-based religion, then what happens is that you're failing of the grace. Because the only way you can fall from grace in the New Covenant is not to sin. You, when, you, uh, when you return to the law, Paul called, told the Galatians, uh, you have went back up under the law and you have fallen from grace. I don't want you to fail of the grace of God. Lest any bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." Now, if I, this is what really opened this text to me is when I was thinking in Revelation 14, these are virgins, and they've not committed fornication with Babylon or her harlot system, and that uh, we see this harlot system as apostate Israel and Jerusalem. She's not committed whoredoms with them. Then all of a sudden, I'm back here reading about Esau, and the Bible calls Esau a fornicator. Now, I don't know whether you ever thought about this or not, but I go back and I look at the life of Esau, and I don't see Esau as a fornicator, which in my mind, at first you're thinking about it being uh, you know, sexual immorality. Well, this word fornicator can carry with it the idea of a male prostitute, but it literally is talking about someone uh, who sells themselves, if you will, to a system of prostitution. And there was a lot of male prostitutes in the temple and the temple worship and all the stuff that went around that. But I'm after something even more than that. When I think about fornication, fornication is operating outside of a covenant. Remember in the book of Revelation that Jezebel teaches us to commit fornication, to operate outside of a covenant. I submit to you that what he's saying here is they are operating outside of the new covenant, and the new covenant is your marriage certificate, and anything outside of that covenant is spiritual fornication. I want you to see, uh, even in the context of this, see, what we don't do is we don't read all the chapters, you know, right after the other. So we don't really see the context here uh, of what's what's going on. But if you go back to 10, Hebrews the 10th chapter where it's talking about, uh, you know, that we've been purged by the blood of Jesus. We could draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure waters. Then he comes on down here. This is Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Talking about all that, in in chapter 10, the first part of it, I'm not going to go back and reiterate all of it, but he talks about, for by one offering, you have been sanctified forever by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he goes on to say that those who are sanctified are perfected by the same offering, so that now we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and we can provoke one another now to love and to good works, and we can consider one another, uh, we can have our conscience purged, so that we can draw near with a true heart. Right on the heels of this, it almost looks like it's out of context. Verse 26 of Hebrews starts, and said, says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. Now, let me just say that what he was saying to them, and then he comes into uh, the Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and starts talking about by faith these men did this, by faith they kept doing this, by faith they did that. But the heels of this is he's saying to them, once you have tasted of this new covenant, this blood that speaks better things, this blood that purges your conscience, this blood that makes you draw near with a true heart, once you've come to that, He's saying to them, if you sin willfully, the word sin here means miss the mark. In other words, that doesn't mean you sin since you got saved. If that's the case, anybody that's ever been saved uh, doesn't have another chance at salvation because they sinned, and they sinned willfully. See, when he talks about Hebrews 6, the same thing. He said they tasted of the power of the age to come. The age to come was the new covenant. And what he's talking about here is if you miss the mark of the new covenant on purpose, and you go back. He goes on to say that if you go back and you sin willfully, uh, what is happening is you've got to trample back over the blood of Jesus. In other words, he's dealing with Hebrews who are about to go back and turn out of the way. They're about to go back to Judaism. They're about to go back to animal sacrifice. They're under pressure of their families. They're under pressure of persecution everywhere to go back to circumcision, to go back to the law, to go back to the, the, doing this by an old covenant. They're about, if you will, to commit fornication by going back under the wrong covenant. They're about to be like Esau. They're going to sell their birthright, their right of inheritance. And so even when it tells you later on that Esau, though he sought it carefully with tears, found no place of repentance. That doesn't mean he didn't repent. It meant his father did not change his mind, which is what the word repentance means. It means to change one's mind. In other words, the father said, I'm not going to change my mind about who gets the birthright. And who got the birthright was the one who approached him with the skin of a goat on him. And I could say it like this the only ones receiving man, I feel the Holy Ghost, that's going to receive the right of the firstborn of those that's with the Lamb in the book of Revelation, they've got the skin of a goat on them. In other words, the scapegoat of the sacrifice of Jesus is what qualified them to receive the inheritance of the blessing. God will never change His mind. He will not repent of who gets it, and the birthright only belongs to those who are going to come through the blood of this new covenant. And He tells them, if you sin willfully, what's going to happen is that uh, you have to walk back over the blood of Jesus due to spite of the spirit of grace. I'm concerned about the American church wanting to rebuild physical temples in the Middle East and go back to offering the blood of red heifers. That is diametrically opposed to what Hebrews 10 is saying. It says if you do that, if you go back and offer a blood sacrifice... It is amazing to me that uh, we're trying to turn Christians into Judeo-Christians when we need to just let them be followers of Jesus. We don't need to go back. God's not converting us to Judaism. God is leading us into a relationship with the living God. We are Christians. We are following the Lamb wherever He goes. And this Lamb moved from Sinai and is now standing on Mount Zion in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation. But He said if you sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. He's not saying you can't be saved. He's saying there is not another sacrifice coming. And if you go back on purpose, then he goes on to say, but a certain fearful looking for of uh, judgment fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. How much sore punishment of those whom uh, has trampled the blood of, uh, of the covenant and counted the blood of the covenant as an unworthy thing, has done despite to the Spirit of grace. And we know him who that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will replace, saith the Lord, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. These days in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation are the days of vengeance as fulfilled by what Jesus prophesied in Luke, I believe it is chapter 17 or 18, where he says... Uh, that they were the days of the vengeance of our God. The fire indignation that came upon them was the destruction that fell upon them in uh, Revelation 14. The fire that devoured them was the uh, judgment that He prophesied here. I mean, this is, you know, listen folks, this is absolute, complete fulfillment of everything you see happening here in context chronologically in order uh, these that are with him are virgins they're not fornicators like esau they're not going back to an old covenant they're staying on mount zion they've got the song of the redeemed and uh there's a message that's being declared babylon is fallen it's fallen and uh uh, the great city that made the nations drink of the wine of wrath of her fornication this babylon i'm going to show you the comparison later this babylon is natural jerusalem and as God destroys that city, He gives birth to a new Jerusalem. It's a tale of two cities, and we'll get there when we get there later on. But uh, He tells them that those that, that do this are... are He said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but in chapter 14 of Revelation, verse 10 says, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, which worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandment of God and the faith of Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Blessed are the dead that died to the Lord, from henceforth that they may rest from their labors. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. I believe this is in fulfillment also of what he said in 1 Thessalonians or in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 2 when he's talking about uh, uh, when he's talking about inflaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. But we're just about out of time, so I'm going to have to tap back into that on the next program, and uh, we will talk about that in the next program. Uh, You've been gracious. Take a moment to write to us or to call that number on the screen or to go to our website. The address is on the screen. The phone number is on there. And become a partner with us today. We need your partnership. As you can tell, we are probably breaking new ground. And with that, We are bringing to television an audience that may not be watching some of the others. So if you want to be a part of continuing to see this kind of message on the air, become a part of it today and sow a seed. That is what enables us to take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of His grace around the world. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.